You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. We're talking about prayer today. We've already heard an awful lot of clever things around prayer. And I reckon anybody sitting in here could today could do this talk on prayer. Because I think most of us will have some kind of an experience around prayer. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about this. I put up a picture to start with of a child because my first memories of prayer is of the time when my parents had just divorced and we were with my mum and I would cycle every day to go see my dad because he was all alone in the house and I must have felt sorry for him. So I cycled to him and his question to me was always, did you remember to say your prayers? Did you remember to say your prayers? I don't remember anything else about going to visit with him every day, but do you remember? Did you remember to pray? I don't know what your experience of prayer has been, but that probably in many ways ramps up what my experience of prayer has always been. I don't do it enough. I don't do it in the right way. And that whole thing of just not being enough. And I'm guessing for some of you that might be similar, that you feel inadequate like I do when it gets to prayer. You feel like I'm never doing it quite right or not doing the right thing. And you come at it from a place of feeling just useless and not good enough. And that's really hard. Others of us might be sitting here and thinking that this prayer thing I'd like to learn to. If you've not, if you, in some ways, is that bad to say that if you've almost been blessed with not growing up in church, you may come at it from a very different kind of place because you may not come with the guilt side of it, but you may come just being really curious about this prayer thing. What is it? So let's look at it a little bit today, but I, of course, am me, so you're going to have to live with hearing some of my experiences of having lived through this. Um, so the first thing was about guilt and it all being really hard in that way. And I was really keen to learn more about it. And I reckon if we stacked up books on prayer that have been written, we could probably make quite a big display of them right here because there's so much done on prayer. So being able to say anything that's clever is difficult. So I'll just share something with you about my journey. So when I was studying physiotherapy, my best friend and study friend, we did a lot of uh, studying together and revision, learning anatomy together. You have to have somebody that can help you uh, learn by heart. But her sister, she was 20, and she uh, was just cycling around Copenhagen, which is the most normal thing to do in Copenhagen. And she was run down uh, by a car, and, and she was in hospital, um, really unwell. Um, and I, of course, being very keen on prayer, got my, my home group and my church and everybody to pray. And we were praying earnestly that this young woman would be healed and that she would be well. And we prayed and we prayed for days. We had prayer change and all of these different things. We were really 
fasting, praying, whatever we could, thinking this has got to be God's will. This has got to be praying what's on God's heart as well. And she, and she died. A very, in some ways, really innocent kind of accident, similar to the one I had last year. This young woman died. How do you make sense of that? How do you make sense of feeling like you're doing all the right things, you're praying, you are fasting, you're doing everything? Why does God not answer? What did we do wrong or what didn't we get right? I don't know if you've ever asked those questions. I think a lot of us have. And I've done quite a lot of training around prayer, read books and done courses and Oh, if you do it this way, or if you do it that way, if you put your hands on like this, if you anoint like that. But it doesn't always happen. We don't always see things happen. Is that because it's not God's will? No, we don't believe that, do we? A young woman being 20 years of age at the beginning in many ways of her life, it's got to be God's will that she lives. And... That's one of the beauties of being part of thinking about constructive church, that at least we've had space and been allowed to ask these questions. The church and the background I grew up with, you weren't allowed to ask the questions. But I definitely have. If I pay, pray right, you call it a slot machine. I often thought prayer was a lot like that, actually, that you'd put your coin in, you'd do that, ding, 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 and then you hope you get the out at the bottom. In some ways, that's often how we look at prayer, isn't it? And if we do it right, or if you balance the coin just this way, then it might do it. But we then end up, when it comes to prayer, did I not do it right? Did I not say it in a spiritual way? Did I not use the right words? Did I, what, what have I done wrong? Why is it not happening? And I know that I have asked, not just at, around the time of this young lady who died, but I have often just thought, what is it that's going on? What is the point of prayer? This is a Henry Nguyen one who says, prayer is an articulate way of being useless in the face of God. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that your prayer feels more like some useless kind of activity you're doing? You're just thinking, what is it we're doing? What is this about? And I think we could do another sermon about maybe it's good to be useless in front of God sometimes and actually think about who he is and get hold of him. But I think the tricky thing that is really, really easy to feel like we are useless when it comes to prayer and that it's really difficult. Oh, no, that's right. Sorry, I was just looking at the next one. At some point, I've, I've shared several of... Loads of you will have heard parts of my story before. And seven years ago now, I, my life was turned upside down. I was divorced. And my, I think probably the hardest part of that was not the divorce. It was the loss of my social network because that came with it, because of being involved in church, which can be such a blessing. But that whole thing of just feeling like my life had just 
fallen apart. Apart from my daughters, it a little bit felt like the rest was just no longer there. And I had been a pastor. I had been preaching like I'm doing right now and thought I'd never do again. But here I am. Um, and I, I lost my job. All of it was gone. And I just felt broken. I had been teaching on prayer before. How do you make sense of it when everything falls apart? How does that work? And I have so many questions about that and very few answers. But I know, and I think I, I went through a long time where I was questioning if this old God thing was real. Was it just something we as churches have made up and that we do? Is it real? Is even God real? And I know that one of the things that I found really difficult is that so many people will say that when they're going through deep grief and very hard times, they feel God really near. Have you heard people say that? They feel like God was really there. I'm sorry to say, I did not feel he was really there. For a long time, probably at least a year, I was just, I'm not sure this God thing is real. I ended up, I did try and go to a church, a local church, and I went there faithfully because, of course, I'd been brought up that way, and that's what you do, and blah, blah, blah. And in the end, I felt like I almost had to hold on to the seat to stay there because I was just questioning everything. What is the point of it all? And I came across this quote here, Henry Nguyen, quote, Dear God, I'm so afraid to open my clenched fists. Who will I be when I have nothing left to hold on to? Who will I be when I stand before you with empty hands? Please help me to gradually open my hands and discover that I am not what I own. I am not my experience. I am not everything that I used to think I was. but I am what you want to give me. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you've been so... If I, I was very much in that place of thinking, if I am not a believer, then who am I? Because that was so much my, my experience. And that's what I had been used to. And when all of that was ripped away, when church, which has been such a big part of my life, if that all of a sudden felt like maybe it wasn't real and maybe it wasn't. But in the midst of all of that, I'll just go back again. In the midst of all of that, one of the things that I would do, as Lillians do, is go for walks, because I like walking. And I was stopping looking at trees in Greenwich Park. Andrew will have heard, Andrew's here today. Andrew will have heard me talking about trees. <laughs> I stopped and looked at some of these trees and just look at this one. And I would, I would stop and I'd look at it and I'd think, gosh, if that tree could tell me about its life, what do you think it would say? How many parts of that have been cut down or just died? Yet, it's still a tree, it's still growing. I think that was part of what I think that was speaking to me at the time was, yet, here I am. Yet, I'm still here. 
I want to be like a tree. I want to still grow. I want to still do what I can to grow and be, be me. And I would pray, even before all of this, I remember doing a talk in the church that we were pastoring at the time about Jesus being our rock, the rock beneath our feet. And many times during the couple of years that this was taking place, I would say, thank you, God, that you are God and I'm not. Thank you that I don't have to make sense of it. Thank you that you are God and I'm not. And I'd say, thank you, Jesus, that you are the rock that I stand on. I don't feel it. I don't see it. But if you are there, I trust that you are that rock and that you will remain the rock beneath my feet. So I was clinging on to that, clinging on to it, knowing that, it, it, and, and in many ways, here I am still today, and I can't let go of God. I tried, <laughs> but he is still there. And I, when I walk in nature and I stop to admire a rose, which is one of the things people who know me and Kesawa will know, I do, I stop and I admire. I just cannot get away from that sense that God is there and that he is love. Ooh. So this one to me, to pray is to listen to the voice of love. To pray is to listen to the voice of love for you, the voice of love for me, so that we hear and come back to that place of knowing that God is love. God loves you. God loves me. And for whatever situation we're in, I use that at work a lot. Just a little pause, like Jill has spoken to us many times about this whole thing of the Jewish name, of the Hebrew name for God is Yahweh, which is breath. This whole thing of just having a breath, a pause to say, thank you, God, you are here. And God, let your love come into this situation. And sometimes when life or work is really tricky and you have to either come up with a response or a reply or a reaction to something, just, God, thank you, God, that you are here in the midst of life, in the midst of the work, and you can do that in your head. And when we talk about constructive prayer, I quite like this when we think about being church together. This picture I'm sure you've all seen many times. When we stand close to an elephant, you only see one little part of it. And you miss, actually, no matter which of those places you'd be in, you could miss what an elephant looks like. And I think that's one of the reasons that being church together is so important. Because I think we need each other to get the bigger picture of who God is. We need each other to understand God's love more, because each one of us comes with a unique experience of what God's like, love is like and what God is like. And as we share that with each other, we act, it's like you step a little bit further back and you're able to see more of what God is like. And I think the more we can do that together, that we can help each other see more of what God is like, which is also why it's so great to pray together at times. And I don't know how you like to do that, but that whole thing of just 
having somebody else stand with you who just points to God with you, looks at God with you, and it's like you step a little bit away and you get a little bit of a bigger picture. And the more we share with each other, the more of God we can understand and we can see. And I think it helps us. And I thought we could do a little exercise on that right now, something I like to call popcorn prayer. Are you up for being part of that? <laughs> I like to come back to that because I very often feel it can be really hard to say clever prayers. I don't know what you're like, but I think it would be really hard. Hence why I love popcorn prayer, because everybody can be part of it, and it's not clever. Okay? So popcorn prayer, the idea of that is that you think of something about God that you appreciate, something that you know and you love, and that we all then, one after each other, like popcorn, we just say, thank you, God, that you are love. And then I'd like you all to just think about something, and then in a few seconds, I'm going to ask you to just shout it out, okay? All right, go on. Somebody start. Yes? Faithful. Peaceful. I didn't hear the first one, so please. Assistant, yes. Absolutely. Infinite. Transcendent. Accepting. Unconditional love. Friend. Rock is the rock. Yeah. He's the shepherd. Not just the shepherd, but the good shepherd. Do you see, as we start, I don't know if you notice, but as you start to think about different things of God, your focus and your mind changes, doesn't it? You start to look at who God is. A friend of mine, no, and one who was a leader in ICTUS at the time, Ken McGreevy, I remember him at some point saying that when we are facing a problem, we need to look not just at the problem, but just above the problem into the eyes of Jesus. And to me, that was always such a lesson. That if we just look at the problem, the molehill becomes a mountain. But as we look and try to see God, we start to get a different, it does, the problem doesn't go away, so we're not trying to say the problem is not there, but we're trying to see God in the midst of all of this. And, and then another verse that I have always, or for many years, have loved. Do you know that it says here that God jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? So when we think about prayer, sometimes we come with all the guilt and we feel like we are not worthy. Well, actually, God wants fellowship with you and me way more than we want it with him sometimes. And that whole sense that God, it's not just that God welcomes your prayers or that he wants them, but he wants the communion. 
He jealously desires that relationship with us, which is what prayer is about. Prayer is about connecting and noticing God. And if we can, I often need to get this into my head that God jealously wants to have anything to do with me. You may not find that hard to believe for you, but I have to work on that. I find that really hard to think that he would want that. But he wants fellowship with us. He wants connection with us. And that whole thing of coming back to that God wants connection. God wants, he wants us. He wants us. He wants us to be in contact with him and, and be in tune with him so that we know who he is. We know his love for each situation that we're in. And we can be part of earthing that. I also quite like Brother Lawrence and that term. He's written a book that's called Practicing the Presence of God. Now, what I really like about that, because lots of monks and people who did things around prayer, of course, would go and be in a prayer cell and they would isolate them themselves. Of course, he was in a monastery. But what Brother Lawrence did was he didn't very often, he didn't do all those, as it says here, I've abandoned, abandoned all particular forms of devotion, all prayer techniques. My only prayer practice is attention. I carry on habitual, silent, and secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. Such a beautiful uh, quote from his book. But you know, he wouldn't go into isolation into this little prayer cell and do his prayers. He would pray while he was doing the dishes. He said that he felt God's presence while he was doing the dishes more than if he went to be by himself. And I love that as an example of saying that God's presence is in the midst of doing life. Prayer is not an isolated thing that is totally away. Yes, sometimes we need that to be able to, co to connect with God because we need to calm ourselves down like Jesus sometimes did. But a lot of it is in the midst of life. It's getting into that thing where we recognize that it's that connect connecting with God as we go about life. That, I think, is that thing of walking in prayer. Now, I work for an organization called Pause, and I think their strap line is the best for describing what prayer is about. It's to pause to create space for change. I think that whole thing of connecting with God, because it's easy for all of us to just busy ourselves and get on with everything that we're doing, and then maybe at the end of our day, if we are lucky and remember, we say, oh, thank you, God, for today, or please, God, be with. But actually, that whole thing about journeying with him and pausing throughout the day, and that's one of the things, if you're, we're talking again about what prayer looks like when we have some of us had to deconstruct. I think we're good at that here in, in Oasis. I think there's so almost every service, somebody from up here will say, let's just pause. Let's just stop, pause, breathe, and know that God is here. We don't always call it prayer, but I think it's really important practice in life to just pause because it creates 
space for us to put our attention on God. And the thing is, I think God's always there. God's always moving. God is always at work somewhere. And if we don't pause to pay attention, I think we often miss it. So it's about us having that thing of just saying, okay, God, I want you in this right now. Please help me see you right now. We don't have to beg God to be part of it. We have to notice where he is. And I am almost done. You'll be happy to hear. Just wanted to say just at the beginning, as, uh, as we wrap it up, to just think about there's loads of different things. There is no right or wrong way to pray. Please don't get stuck. If you have not been part of a church background, please don't get stuck in what some of us have had to work on getting our way through. It's different, but each one of us finds is a way of connecting with God. And this is just a tiny list. You, you and I need to notice where we are able to connect with God. And for me, it's very often in the beauty of nature. And sometimes I connect with God when I sit with somebody who is in deep pain and I just sense that God is there and his love is there. And I'm able to be there and just be part of presenting that. So I think in the midst of beauty and in the midst of the deepest pain, we can find God. Which means we can find him anywhere. And you may connect best with him in the shower or while you have, while you have a cup of tea. It's up to each one of us to work on how we do that. And I will just do one more slide, and I promise it will be over then. Did I, this is again a Henry Nguyen prayer that I just think is a beautiful, beautiful one to remind us of having God part of what we do. Did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I love? They're simple questions, and they can be my prayer and my way of thinking of God being earthed into the way that I am and the way that I live. And I think that also becomes our prayer, because prayer is not just about words. Prayer is how we live, isn't it? It's about how we live it out. I was part of lots of movements of prayer and prayer houses and prayer marches, but it's about how we live life. And it's got to be part of changing how we are and how we live. We can't separate prayer from life. It's got to be involved in the doing and in the serving.